How do you handle anxiety? Do you run from it? Does it make you feel scared? Or do you find someone to blame? Hi, I'm Nick Warren, and welcome to the I Learn podcast. Jim Lawless believes anxiety and even fear are not bad, but just need to be managed in the right way. And in this week's episode, he gives us a few clues as to how. Hello, First Quantum Leaders. My name is Jim Lawless, and I run a company called Symmetry. And we're specialists in the architecture of transformation and culture in order to evolve and do new things, both as individuals, leaders uh, and as an organisation. And what I'm going to do during the brief time we have together is give you some background to change uh, and the uncertainty and anxiety it can bring. And then give you three broad tips, four if we've time, into how we can navigate that. And more importantly today, help our people to navigate those waters as well. If you think about it, change is reasonably straightforward, isn't it? We, we do new things. Uh, but the challenge comes from doing things we haven't done before, because if we're going to do new things to create a new result, we're going to meet uncertainty. And if we meet uncertainty, we will inevitably, especially in the workplace, meet risk. And nobody listening to this, if I asked you the question, uh, when you were 12, 13 years of age, did your mother or father or whoever cared for you back then wave you off to school in the morning saying, have a great day today? Make sure you take a risk or two at school today. Don't worry if you're uncertain about the answer or the outcome. You just blunder on in. They won't mind. Most of us were brought up to survive in the industrial age where certainty was valued, where getting it right first time predictably uh, was to the satisfaction of an authority figure who could define right. Imagine that. That was what was prized and valued. And so we were set up to survive in that environment. We're having to operate, of course, in a very different environment. When we leave the comfort zone, we meet uncertainty, we meet risk. We have not been taught how to deal with that. Now, that's a big topic uh, and a topic that consumes my life uh, and that is incredibly stimulating and that I love. I also enjoy uh, and think it's very important for me to experiment with it personally. So not just in my commercial activities, but outside of of work in order to uh, test the ideas I'm working with with the team at work, I've chosen to become the deepest freediver in the UK, going down to 100 metres, the first Briton to reach 100 metres descent without oxygen and air supply, uh, which is a huge journey outside of the comfort zone that requires meeting uh, uncertainty, anxieties, activating different areas of the brain uh, and uh, being able to control different physical responses. And similarly, I chose to become a jockey within 12 months of first sitting on a horse age 36, which uh, involved... Um, radical weight loss as well as uh, as well as learning the skills to participate in that sport and both of those things importantly were done during uh, my day job alongside my day job uh, transformation generally takes place alongside performance so some of the those experiences will influence what i say today anxiety and fear have been given a really bad rap recently so i'd like to start by repositioning that these are hugely positive uh, and helpful evolutionary forces and the reason we have it is because we were the ones uh, over the years that survived and so anxiety fear hugely beneficial very different fear an immediate present threat wake up in my tent there's a, a, a rattlesnake in my sleeping bag 
I have fear. Uh, if I am got a more of a hazy uncertainty about the future, I have anxiety. And this is a wonderful alarm bell that tells me I need to pay attention. It doesn't say that I need to obey it, that I need to run away, that I need to hide away, that there's something terrible that's going to happen. These are my, maybe how I feel and can translate it at times, but it, it's an alarm bell telling me that something needs my attention. So we could think of that really as a as a revving engine. Imagine you've got a beautiful a beautiful uh, combustion engine uh, and it's and it's revving quite high and that's what anxiety does to us. And we've got options. We can engage the clutch, use all that energy, we can act in other words to solve the problem whether it's anxiety to move the car if it's a combustion engine in a car. We could uh except that there's no reason to have the engine revving. We, we can't do anything about the problem. In the words of the great Baz Luhrmann, we can recognise that worrying is about as useful as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubblegum. So we can try and turn that engine down. And here we get into cognitive behavioural therapy or, or just uh, putting some perspective around the problem. Or, of course, we can amplify. We can push the throttle down without engaging the clutch. And that's what the news media of the world has been doing. Now, at this stage, we enjoy the drama of the anxiety. We find somebody to blame. We look at ourselves as victims. We look forward into the future as to how doom-laden things are going to be and how powerless and impotent we are. We have to be aware as leaders that these three potential responses to anxiety caused by uncertainty, brought about by rapid change, are things that we can influence and are things that our people will be experiencing. So to start with then, the tips I promised, having given you that background idea first. A story. I remember giving one of my first ever presentation in Ireland, the country uh, where all my family come from. And I, it was a, a real honour to be going there to speak. Uh, and I delivered a disastrous presentation. And I was in the gentleman's bathroom on a, a quick stop on a very fast route to the exit, feeling thoroughly ashamed of myself when uh, somebody, uh, a senior member, maybe in his late 60s, of the audience came and stood beside me at the wash basin uh, and he congratulated me on the presentation. And I said, thank you, but I don't think it went very well. And he said, no, no, it, it didn't go very well. If you want, I could tell you what you did wrong. And I said, that would be very helpful. Thank you. He said, well, the only real problem was that you never got you on their side. And I said, no, no, no. What, what you mean is that I didn't get them on my side. He said, you are doing it again. You didn't get you on their side. And once you are on their side, you can say anything you want to. But up till that point, you're just a show off. Ouch. If we're going to help our people through uncertainty and anxiety, they've got to know we're on their side. And we have may well have always tried to be on their side, but, but due to their own upbringing and perceptions of the workplace and other managers and leaders, they might see you as an authority figure who's there to mark their homework. Until we can begin to break that down, demonstrate that we're here to support and serve and help them to do a great job for the organisation, we can't have the real conversations. So how can you demonstrate to them by listening, by communication, 
by delivering that you're on their side. You want this thing. It's a work thing. You're not their private life mentor, but within a work context, you as a leader are here to serve them, assist them to deliver magnificent things for the organization. You're on their side. Now, as a coach, I have no right to deliver uh, my outrageous mirror truths to that individuals in that organization, uh, in that team, or either individually or together as a team, even though they've brought me in uh, and funded me to do that. I have to earn that right, and I have to earn it by getting me on their side. And once I'm on their side, I promise you, I can do the most uh, outrageous, have the most outrageous conversations, as now I'm able to do with large audiences around the world. So tip number one, can you get you on their side? You're their coach, you're behind them. Secondly, uh, there's, if you remember the, the model, there's action, accept and amplify. So we want to quell amplification. So we want to never be engaging in that amplification. What we want to be doing is engaging in how we accept or act. Now, action is the primary antidote to anxiety. Anxiety is a feeling that in the future, I'm not safe. So how can we act to make sure that in the future we are safe? It's what the anxiety response is primarily there to require us to do. So what can you do to help your people find actions that will allow them to move forward to safety? Now, you might say, but we don't know because the future is too uncertain and I have no idea what's going on in your world. But we've taken a leaf out of Mike Tyson's book, who had a saying that uh, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And then you're, you're winging it. So how fast can you change strategy? And we've been working with organizations over the past few weeks, and we've had to adopt this ourselves, where there is a strategy meeting every Monday because the ground is shifting that fast. And that means that what we're saying to people remains very credible because it's fresh. Uh, third tip uh, is, ah, so, free diving. Free diver's main job, if you're going to go to 100 meters under the ocean, the main job is to control your mental and therefore your emotional state. Second, manage pressure. At 100 metres under the ocean, I'm under 11 times the Earth's um, pressure, the the pressure at the surface, and I have gone there in 60 seconds. It's it's a, a third of an atmosphere over 30 minutes to land at the airport after your holidays. And I haven't done it in a tube, I've done it in a wetsuit. And finally... Uh, I need to be able to hold my breath. And when I began the process, again, we act to change. Uh, When I began the process, I had a breath hold of 30 seconds, maybe 40. And by eight months later, for record day, I had five minutes. And I'm sure you could do the same thing with daily practice, if you wanted. I came up with a shorthand for when I'm thinking with my frontal cortex, my executive function, I have control. And when my emotions want to rise up, my non-conscious anxiety and, if necessary, fear levels in response to the environment that I'm placing myself in. That frontal executive function that I needed to stay in, I called blue. Red was the name I gave to the emotional state, the non-conscious rising of anxiety, which could come in an extremely beautiful, wonderful incredible environment which is also unbelievably hostile rather like a very high mountain we need 
to be aware of the idea of staying in blue and not going into red. And by giving it that shorthand, when we're in our emotional process versus our intellectual purpose, we can begin to ourselves make sure we enter conversations with our teams from a blue place. Just like I have to begin the free dive in a blue place. And we can also, if we work hard with the teams, begin to share this vocabulary with them. So we can begin to say, especially if we're on their side, I think we might be going a bit red here. Can we come back to a more blue? And they, of course, may be in a state where they can't see that and don't want to have that conversation. But slowly and with trust, we can build it up. And that vocabulary was very helpful for me to help me to realize to come away from amplification into act or accept, away from my non-conscious emotional response to a situation, driving my biochemical changes and into an intellectually calm. How will I deal with this situation constructively? Conversation within my head and with others, blue and red. Finally, just a thought about vulnerability. I remember working on my uh, racing year and I had a, the most incredible coach who, who helped me. Uh, her name was G, is G Armitage. Well, was G Armitage. She's married now. She's Chief Bradburn. And G is the most successful female jump jockey that England has ever produced. And one day she said to me, about a third of the way through, four months in, she said, I'm surprised you're not more scared. You're having a lot of accidents. And I was. And none that would damage a horse, but things that could damage me. And, uh, and, and you're getting run away with at very high speed across the countryside when you lose control. Uh, what, what, why aren't you getting more scared? And I'd never shown her any fear because I was brought up for the industrial age. And I was brought up to play a masculine role by both men and women, requiring I play a masculine role in the industrial age, which means I don't have the luxury of having emotions. So the response I decided to give her was, was the truth. I said, I, I get really scared, but I just keep it to myself. Now, I'd made some incredible mistakes up to this point, and she had never, ever got angry with me. That morning, she got angry. She said, I cannot possibly help you overcome the barriers to becoming a jockey in 12 months, get you on the racetrack, unless you tell me the truth. And how you're feeling on the horse is a massive part of that truth. We've got to be able to deal with this together. She was furious. It was a real incredible lesson for me that day. There's something about acknowledging that we are in a place of uncertainty and anxiety amongst our peers and to our leaders that allows us then to receive the support we need to then go give it to others. So I'll leave on that final note. Yes, our team will have vulnerability and we can encourage them to share that with us because then we can truly work together on what's going on. But my last thought to you who've come this far, you know, I'm in a conversation. My monologue today is this. Can you ask for what you need? Can you show up a little bit naked during this and ask for what it is you really need of your leaders within your community to enable you to either act or accept in order to move forward and serve your people? And to ensure that you are helped away from where we will all go somewhere, sometimes, that place of amplification. Huge pleasure spending time with you today. I wish you every possible success. Goodbye. That's it for this week's episode. You'll hear more from Jim Lawless when First Quantum launched the full iLearn system later in the year. Everybody involved in this podcast series has given their time for free. Thanks for listening and see you next time.